Good morning, Oasis Church. Great to be with you. Uh, I have my wife with me. She's uh, been married to me for 46 years. You need to uh, keep praying for her, but Sharon, will you stand so they can see who you are? We have uh, had a great uh, opportunity to relate to Julian and Christina. Uh, we have a lot in common. We're trying to build the church and extend the kingdom of God. That's enough right there. Uh, <clears throat> my time with Julian as a coach has been wonderful. Uh, for the last, I don't know, 18 months or so before pandemic, it seems like. Uh, but being able to be involved with his life, as I have been with other pastors, uh, has been a real privilege. I honor him and his wife. I, I think they are, uh, not I think, I know they are uh, absolutely great leaders. And uh, you're privileged to have them as your pastors of Oasis Church. It's, it's a, you're privileged to have somebody that's pure-hearted and is trying to do the right thing. And uh, I, I can uh, applaud them for that. We have pastored um, for 46 years. From the beginning of our marriage, uh, the very first five years, I taught in Bible college. And then I left the Bible college and pioneered a church we did with a team of 18 people and raised that church up to several hundreds of people and planted several churches out of that church. And then we returned to the church that sent us back to Portland, to our mother church, and succeeded the senior pastor that was pastoring that church. He had pastored that church for 41 years. And so we went back to Portland and we succeeded him. And uh, we pastored that church for 25 years. Uh, during that time, uh, we planted churches, started campuses, raised the church up to a uh, few thousands. And that church was a thriving uh, presence in the city of Portland and the roundabout communities. We were known in our city for serving our city and helping in our city. And so in pastoring, uh, I have learned a lot of things. I've learned a lot of things, what to do, what not to do. I made my sufficient mistakes, uh, effectively so, like leaders do. Uh, but in it all, my heart was in the kingdom of God, and we tried some things that didn't work, some things worked better. You know, you just push ahead and believe for God to do something great. In this uh, particular session I'm gonna deal with this morning, this sermon, is one of those principles that worked every time. This, this was a proven principle that brought our church into the vision that God had for us and took us into the future that we could not even have dreamt of. A future that I don't think I could have, even if I was very prophetic, been able to actually write down where we were going exactly. I only had sketch pictures. I had generalities. I had ideas. I had burden and vision and desire. But I couldn't see the whole picture of what God was doing because it was too big and too good. And God always is too big and too good. And so in that, the vision came to pass and we were able to turn the church over and continue our life and what we're doing now and travel and ministry, write books and help and coach, etc. Because the kingdom of God keeps moving forward. The, the principle 
that I want to talk to you about this morning. It's called the power of we, the power of we. Making vision happen, it takes the power of we. It's the greatest kingdom principle that you will find in all of scripture is the power of we. Everything great that you will ever achieve in your life, you will not achieve it alone. Everything great worth achieving, you won't achieve it by yourself. All great things are not built on alone. They're built on us and we and together beginning with us in marriage, beginning with us in family, beginning with us in local church. And so the message today deals with you being that person that understands the power of we is greater than the power of me. The power of we is greater than the power of me, what I could do in my own. The power of we is what we're after, the us, is far more powerful than the I. And so we're going after the we, we're going after the us, because these are actually little uh, words used in the scripture, throughout the scripture, and if you did a word study, which you wouldn't care to do, on every verse that has we and us in it, you'd be at the table for a long time, because the Bible begins with let us make man in our image. It wasn't let me, let us. The, the Bible begins with a unified Godhead working together as a team to fulfill a vision that man could not have without the us. It took Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It took the Godhead. It took the unified Godhead to build what God was going to do. And so it's the us that we're after. In Matthew 6, when Jesus teaches us, everyone shout the word us. When Jesus teaches the disciples, he said, teach us to pray. What does Jesus say in Matthew 6? He says, okay, when you pray, pray this. Our father, what, wait a minute. Shouldn't that be my father? Our Father, even the most known prayer in the Bible is a we prayer, an us prayer, an our prayer. And when you pray, you pray, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And then it starts talking kingdom language. And so we pray with us, we exist for us, we build for us. Today you're in church, maybe first time, third time, a hundred time, five years, ten years, whatever. You're involved with a vision and a mission of an us, a we, a corporate gathering, a corporate body. What you can do for your city and do for families and do for individuals all around you will only be done as this church thrives. You have to have a thriving church to have a thriving mission. You have to have a thriving church to reach a city that needs God. Every city does, every neighborhood does. Our city, your city, everybody's city. And so we are in that place to build something that lasts. You are in a church that's going to be here for a long time. It's been here a long time. It's going to be here for a long time. My question to you is what will you do to build this church? What will you do to make it a we church and an us church, not a me church and an I church? 
What will you do instead of bringing your burden to church every time and waiting for someone to push the button in prayer or worship or preaching that meets your need or your miracle that you might need? It's a me thing. Sometimes we get into such a consumerism of church that we come to church to get something for me. And we don't even notice the person next to us on either side or in front of us. We don't even think about the person in the foyer. We're not even thinking about who else might be in a need because you're in a crisis, you're in a problem. And so you're thinking about me and my crisis and my challenges and my mountains and what I'm trying to climb. I, I want you to know that a thriving church enters the doors with who can I pray for today? Who else is climbing mountains today? Who else is having problems today? Even if you're in the midst of your worst problem, there's somebody having a worse problem. And so you're reaching out. You're, you're coming to church as the church to build the church, to be the church, so that that church can be the church in the community which you are. But it takes that we, it takes that us to build that kind of a church. Now here's my definition. The power of we is the secret to seeing and doing great things for God. So this church, and you're involved, you want to do something great for God, which you're going to do, have done, will do even more. The great things you're going to do will be when the church unifies around the vision and we together put our shoulder to that vision and we build together. It's the great things for God that will be mind-boggling. I'm, I'm convinced that what God has for this church is mind-boggling. You can't even imagine it. You can't even write it down. I don't care what Julian will. I do care. I respect him, and he's a great, you know, whatever he says is a Emmanuel God with us. And so uh, whatever he preaches on vision will be fantastic. But I'll just have to say this. Whatever he preaches for vision will only hit the trees. It won't hit the stars. Why? Because you can't see the stars. You can't see the vision God really has. You can only hope to see it and try to see it. And you, and you plod, which I did for many, many years, plotting to reach that vision and, and put the vision out there. But the vision always eclipsed my small thinking. E eclipsing is what the Holy Spirit does best. Because we think so small. We think so limited. We think in a box. We think with everything down here. And God says, why don't you just lift up your eyes and see what I really can do in this situation? You're not limited by a building. You're not limited by finance. You're not limited by the government. You're not limited by the regional government around here. You're not limited by whatever LA is dealing with, like Portland deals with, we all deal with. I'm not limited by what I see. I'm only limited by what I want to see. And so as I look, I can't see exactly what God is going to do. So we're going to have a mind-boggling beyond anything imagined vision. Ephesians 3, 2021. Message translation. God can do anything, you know. Would somebody shout a big amen? amen? Far more than you could ever imagine or guess or request in your wildest dreams. He does it not by pushing us around, but by working within us, his spirit deeply and gently within us. Glory to God and the church. Paul was kind of getting inspired and Eugene Peterson, who 
translated, made the message Bible, got inspired with this verse. Glory to God in the church. Glory to God in the Messiah in Jesus. Glory down all the generations. Glory through all the millennial. Oh, yes. Come on, shout. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. There's something coming that is going to actually be mind-boggling. It's going to lift you right out of your seat. And this is the amazing thing about a visionary church and a church that believes God for great things. The church is like a dripping faucet on you. As you come into the church every week in every small group and as the worship and and the preaching, it's like these drops start falling upon you. If the church has a great vision, your vision starts expanding. Your vision for your business, for your life, for your health, for your future, for your children, your miracles start expanding. You start believing God for more things. Your thinking starts expanding. It's great to be in a vision church because it stretches your mind. It stretches your spirit. And every week you get stretched a little bit more. You look back a year from now, two years from now, and you'll be thinking, my goodness, I can't believe how much I have changed. I used to be such a doubting Thomas. I was always seeing the cup half full. I was always seeing things so small. But my life now, I believe for better jobs and promotions and businesses to succeed. And I'm believing for the right person that God's going to bring into my life. I thought I'd be single forever. But you know what? I'm, I'm just waiting for that perfect guy, that perfect gal. Look to your left. Look to your right. No, not really. And so God has for you that perfect person. Of course he does. And it will get better and better as you sit in this pew and you soak in the spirit of faith and the spirit of vision. Your life expands, your whole mind expands, your future expands. I just want to say you're better off in church than out of church. You're better off. He can do anything, you know. All right, your church and every church has these four things. Your church has its own divine destiny. Your church has its own divine destiny. Just like individuals have divine destiny, you have divine destiny as a family, and churches have a divine destiny. And that destiny is written in the spiritual realm of this house. Our church that we pastored (laughs) for many years, it had a destiny. It was different than other churches' destiny because we had a Bible college and we had a great mission thing and we had all these other church planning things in place and we could do things because we had a large congregation. We were a destined house. I didn't make that destiny happen. I only was involved in leading that destiny. The destiny was already in the thumbprints of God. The destiny was already written in the book of life. The destiny was already decided before I ever decided anything. God has a destiny for oasis, and this church will be a place where people will drink deeply of the spirit of the living God. This will be a place where people will receive the miracles they're looking for in life. This will be a place where the prodigals will return. Salvations will happen. People will be called of God. God will do mighty things in the life of the business people and the doctors and the nurses and all the people that want to have the challenge of being in politics. You'll need a double portion of the anointing of the Holy Spirit for that one. But you are a church that has a destiny to affect LA. You're here because God trusts you to touch this mighty city. He planted you here with your faith and your abilities because he knows that you're going to touch 
this city in a powerful way. Your destiny intertwines with the destiny of the church. It's amazing how it happens. When you look back, where'd you find your wife? A lot of people found their wife in church. Where'd you raise your kids? In that church. Where did you go through the crisis? In that church. Where did your children, children get married? In that church. What happens? Your destiny is intertwined with the destiny of the house of God. And the more you serve Jesus and the more you serve his house, the better your destiny gets. Now you ponder that for a little while. Who knows when people get offended and leave a church or they leave a church for other reasons, some stupid reasons. You know, people leave churches because I couldn't find a parking space and nobody cared. Hello? You know, I went to the potluck and we had a dinner and nobody ate my food. Hello? You know, I was in a small group and they were praying for everybody, but nobody prayed for me. Hello? I mean, we have so many little things that we do and, you know, that person always ignores me every time I see them. I know they don't like me. You don't know anything. You don't know anything about them. You don't know really what you're thinking. What you're thinking most of the time is wrong about people, wrong about circumstance, and wrong about yourself. And so you need a mind renewal to keep you planted in the house of God. When somebody sets you off and you don't feel they like you or you can't receive them or you feel there's a wall there, remember this piece of wisdom. That person is probably somebody you're going to get very close to. But it starts weird. I don't like them. I don't like the way they dress. Look at her shoes. Who does she think she is? You know, we have personal little stubborn thinking patterns. But God does not want you to remove yourself from where you have been planted for stupid reasons. If God moves you to another place, let God do it. But don't let it be for a stupid reason. Don't let the angels lean over and say, what a stupid decision. Here they go again. Church 1, Church 2, Church 7, Church 10, Church 21. Their children have been dedicated in five different denominations. They don't know what they're doing. You don't want to be that person that does things for stupid reasons. All of those people have moved to Oregon. Your church has a unique personality. And I saw some of it this morning with the way you guys worship. Well, you don't just, I mean, worship teams all do different things, but you guys move. You guys, you guys have rhythm. You, you're a dance team. You're, 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 you, know, you, you guys make things feel, as I watch them, I can only dream I could move like that. You know, wow, how do they sing like that in the middle of, just start the song with nobody saying this is, the, what talent, what wonderful people and then Julian and 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 wife come up to MC and they kind of do a, a whole MC show you know it, it's like they could they could have their own six o'clock show somewhere where they talk to each other and you know play off of each other and make fun of each other and and you're enjoying it why because it's real it's life it's fun Jesus died for sin he didn't die for fun you can still have fun and church is a place to be real. Turn to your neighbor and say, be real. Not many of you talk when I say talk, all right? Your church has its own spiritual distinctives. What are they? 
prayer, praise, purity, prophetic, preaching. What are your spiritual distinctives? I wrote ours out, taught them, preached them, and made them part of our church, our distinctives. We will be family. We will be lovers of all people. We will be a people where everyone prays, not just the super spiritual. We will be a house of prayer. We'll be a house of worship. And I will help you become that. All right, your distinctives and your own God-given vision. What is your God-given vision? Well, not for me to say, but there is a God-given vision that you got to bring down from the scripture. You got to bring down from the spiritual realm. You got to lay it into the people so they understand it. And so that the people begin to reach out to that particular God-given vision. We had a vision to be in the city with campuses. So we started campuses. We started campuses in all the major areas of the city. We did simulcasts before simulcasts was ever popular, way, way back, 15, 18 years ago, before anybody was doing this multi-site thing. There was only like 300 in the nation at that point. Now there's like 30,000 to do multi-site. But that was our option. That was our vision to reach. We had to take the church where the people live, not them driving clear across to one little area of the city over here. And so our God-given vision was to campus the church. It was to plant churches. It was to, I mean, I could go through, but our vision was our vision. Now, how do you make vision happen? Real simple. Here's a definition for you, one you could pray about. Making vision happen is taking the promises, the prophecies, the passion, and making them reality, tangible, fulfilled. So I had a journal. I still have it. I didn't give it to the pastor who took the church because it's my journal. And I journaled about our church. And so in that journal, I had all the promises that God had given me personally and other visiting speakers and other prophetic people. I had all the prophecies ever given our church written out for the entire time I was there. I had all my passions written out. I had a journal of the book so I could go back and remember the promises. But God said, God said through the scripture, through the rhema, that we would be a house that would have financial resource. So I'm going to claim that promise again. I'm going to go back to it and I'm going to remember it that in the worst of times, God is still abundantly able to provide everything we need exceedingly above everything we can even think or imagine. God can make bananas grow on telephone poles if he wants. He's a provider. He's a God that brings the resource. In the worst of times, I'm not going to believe for the worst of finance. I'm going to believe that God is the same all the time. And when everything else looks like it's closing down, I'm opening up because he's the God of provision. He's the God who provides all the time, every time. It was a promise, the prophecy. The passion, what has gone over this house? What has God said? I want to say this to you. You are a vision people. Vision never happens because of a platform or a solo leader. Vision happens when you make it happen. So you are the special vision person. And unless you get on board, it ain't going to happen. 
Doesn't matter how much Julian preaches, yells, screams, prophesies, begs, weeps, gets on his knees, does everything, and says this vision's going forward. It ain't going anywhere if you don't take it there. So you become the shoulder. You become the carrier of the thing called vision. It's not just a pastor thing or a leadership thing. It's a people thing. All of us, every person, we carry the vision. Proverbs 29, 18, where there's no revelation, the people cast off restraint, but happier those who have vision. Nehemiah 4, 6. We, everyone shout we. we. Come on, one more time, we. we. Nehemiah 4, 6. So we built the wall, and the entire wall was joined together up to half its height. What a phrase right here. Nehemiah 4, 6. For the people had a mind to work. That's one of the most wonderful things a pastor ever lives with, with pastor in the church, is when the people have a mind to work. You're not pushing them, you're just leading them, but they're almost running you over because they're moving so fast. That they have a mind to work, they have a mind to carry the burden, they have a mind to give. We raised millions, no exaggeration, millions of dollars for the kingdom of God because the people had a mind to work, because it was their vision. They were the people that were carrying this load, and we together did some great things. Some people just let it happen. They're happy just to sit there and let it happen. Some people make it happen. And then some people wonder what happened. You don't want to be the last group wondering, well, what, what, what happened around here? Wow, we added another service. I wonder when they did that. What we're doing at campus, what we're sending out on missionary, what we're raising money for who? I didn't even know that was going on. Some people attend church, but the church doesn't attend them. They're not in. They're blank. They watch. But that's not what the Lord has in mind for oases. Every person listening to me it's going to be the people that make it happen. Now, what could you do to make vision happen? Well, you got to open your eyes. Ephesians 1.18, you got to open your eyes. In the spirit realm, you got to open your eyes. And I'm not just being overly spiritual. Ephesians 1.18, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened. That means there, there's another set of eyes that you have. And those eyes are able to see through the spirit realm, in the spirit realm, in the spiritual pieces of this church, you're able to see. I went to Oral Roberts University. I knew Oral Roberts personally. And that university had a great effect on my life. Oral came up with this phrase that was written around the university. See the invisible, believe the incredible, receive the impossible. And that's how Oral built that university. See the invisible, open your eyes. Believe the incredible. Faith, how do you get there? How do you get there to believe what others could never believe? And how do you receive the impossible? If you could get those three phrases into your spirit, and you could see the invisible, and you could believe the incredible, and you could receive the impossible, your life would be one mighty adventure, and you would do mighty, mighty things for God. Dima Shakarian, who was the founder of the 
uh, full gospel businessman. I was a hippie back in the day. I'm from California. And so I was way back, if you can imagine me, with long hair and a beard. That was where I was in my early 1920s. That's, that's, I was a hippie. Yeah, but I was a clean hippie. I took shower. And so as when I got saved in the Jesus People movement, I was involved with the Los Angeles Angels because Albie Pearson, the center fielder for the Angels, is the person who got me spirit-filled. And so I lived with him for over a year. And so because I lived with Albie, I got to meet Demas Shikarian. I got to meet Catherine Coleman. I got to meet people who I never knew existed because I was a Baptist. I didn't know any of these people. But Demas Shikarian was a little short, overweight dairyman who had vision for the business people and he did mighty, mighty, mighty things for God. He absolutely shook the business world and brought things together. And he was a dairyman out with the cows. And you think, uh, who am I? You know, who's this dairyman? And that little dairyman who was not a preacher, he was not a teacher, but he was a seer. He was a seer. He was on my platform in Eugene where we had a church there. And we were trying to buy some property or get out of this one acre situation. We were in multiple services and, and it was just, it was too hard to grow anymore. It was frustrating. So we had a bid into another building that we were trying to get. And I knew that was the building for us because it had more land. It was a bigger property and I was in. And Demas standing on the platform next to me during the worship and he looks over at me out of the blue. And he says to me, the building you're looking at is the wrong building. And I wanted to say, you little fat dairyman, who in the world are you to talk to a prophet teacher who studies the Bible every day, prays every day, has positioned this church for a miracle, and you're just going to look at me and say, you missed it. And so I said to him, Demas, if, if that's true, then you get a map and you show me where I'm supposed to go. He says, give me the map and I'll show you exactly where you should go. This little dairyman has me shaken up. What am I saying here? Even if you're a little dairyman, even if you are in some kind of a business or a job that nobody knows you, you're, you're not a person that anybody is thinking greatness is written over you, but I want to prophesy with my eyes open. Greatness is written over your life. And greatness is written over your destiny. And greatness can be what you will receive. You can see the invisible. You can believe the incredible. And you can reach into that realm and pull down the impossible. I'm talking about you becoming a vision church because you are vision people. And because you can see things that God is about to do. You don't have to be a missionary to be spiritual. You can be spiritual right where you are. How many of you really think that you're not very spiritual? Let me see your hands. You would think you're not very spiritual. Now, you know this is a setup, so nobody's going to lift their hand. How many of you, let's rephrase it, how many of you would like to be more spiritual? How many of you would like God to open your eyes to see what he's doing with you, your life, and how it intertwines with the house of God. Would you even chance it? Would you even chance it? C.S. Lewis in the Screwtape Letters, which is uh, a senior demon discipling 
other demons to destroy the church. That's the screw tape letters by C.S. Lewis. It's a marvelous read. The demon Wormwood is training the demons to destroy the church. And he says to the class of young demons, just make them focus on purely indifferent things, which are non-essentials, non-essential issues. They will not see the vision God has for them, and they will not build the church. What a lesson for the demons. All we have to do is make sure they don't see it. We'll make sure they see all the indifferent things and the things that, that don't really matter. They're non-essentials. Most of our life is built on non-essentials and indifferent things. And when you finally get ready to die and leave this planet, I'm guaranteed that you're not going to be thinking about all your indifferent things. Well, I wish I would have done this. I wish I could have done I You won't be thinking about it. You'll be thinking about those things that are the most important, what are they? Okay, we're going to run out of time. So you usually end quarter tail, don't you? Yeah, is that right? Yeah. Are you okay? Yes. How many of you need to read the screw tape letters? know what the demons are being trained to do to you. It's a good read. Vision people have moved from spectator to participator to owner. Have you moved there? Spectator is one who watches. Participator is one who takes a part in it and shares a piece of their life. But you know, neither one of those are anything like an owner. When people rent an apartment, they're spectators. They don't give a rip about your apartment. If you're the owner, if the sink is leaking, they don't even care to fix it themselves. They'll just call. If it makes a big mess and stains the floor or the drywall gets messed up or the, the dog, you know, everywhere. And so they don't even care because it's a rental. We are spectators. We don't own this. This is not ours and we have no emotion for it. Would we please move from spectator mentality to ownership when it comes to the vision of God and the house of God? We become owners of the house. The purpose of life is not to be happy. Well, that would go against almost everybody, even in the pulpit nowadays. I just want to make you happy. God's going to make you happy. Uh, when you get to heaven, talk to Job. Talk to Job. Wasn't the purpose of God to make you happy? Yep, 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 yep. Sure. Talk to Paul. Talk to Paul. Talk to Jesus. Was the purpose of life to make them happy? No. The purpose of life is to make you useful, not happy. The purpose of life is to make you honorable, compassionate, to have made a difference in someone's life. That's the purpose of life, even through your suffering. Through There's a boy walking along a many-mile beach, and the waves had left starfish by the hundreds along the beach. So the boy is walking along, 
and he's throwing these starfish back into the ocean one at a time. But there's hundreds of thousands of them. An older gentleman walking by says, young man, what are you doing? He says, I'm throwing starfish back into the ocean so they live. The old man says, do you realize there's hundreds and thousands? Do you really think you can make a difference with starfish? And as the man was talking, the boy reached down and picked up one of the starfish and says, it makes a difference for this one. Makes a difference for that one. If you want to be a difference maker, start with one. Start with one. Because you can make a difference. You can make a difference. Right now, I want to pray for you. Is that okay? All right. Why don't we stand? And if you don't mind, I want you just to spread your hands toward heaven. Just spread your hands toward heaven, which in the Bible is a sign of covenant, sign of prayer, sign of intercessory prayer. Just spreading your hand toward heaven gets God's attention. Lifting your hands toward God. Father, right now I'm praying for Oasis Church. Lord, I'm praying that the vision of God will run deep. I'm praying that the vision of God will be owned deeply. I'm praying that the vision of God will be something that cannot even be imagined how good it's going to be. Lord, I pray for all the people who don't feel they can make a difference, but they can make a difference. Lord, you can visit them right where they are and give them a vision for how they can be a difference maker. Lord, I pray for the leadership team to carry the vision. I pray for the congregation to carry the vision. I pray this morning that the vision of the living God will rest upon this church in such a way that the burden of the Lord will be evident in our vocabulary, in our prayers, and in our worship. Lord, we are building a great house. We are building something that will last. Lord, we are building something that will affect our children and our children, children, our community and communities beyond. What a difference maker we can be. Jesus, thank you for giving us that ability in the mighty name of Jesus. Now, could you just give the Lord a big shout and a clap this morning and say yes.